Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. A reading from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from every evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture. Amen. So as I said, my name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am serving as the interim site pastor here at Edgewater. And these shoes, while super cute, are not going to be super comfortable. So as the spirit takes over, I might have to kick them off and we'll get started here. Yeah, yeah, girl. This is real church. We're standing on holy ground. Will you play, pray with me? God of power and might, God of grace and love, you have brought us together in this somewhat chilly sanctuary to worship you, to be reminded of your love for us as your beloved children. And you have called us, God, to continue meeting together, encouraging one another, provoking each other, bringing up all that stuff within each other that we may follow your will in our lives, to continue to share your love that is real with this world. Bless our time together so that we may have the energy to continue doing this until the day comes when you, God, get everything that you want. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't go it alone. Community is essential, and it changes things. This is pretty much what Jesus says before he is to die and then be resurrected and ascend into heaven. He brings his people together and says, keep meeting, keep breaking bread, keep drinking. Do this together. So after his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus then shares this with the community and the community tries to keep doing it. Much like as described in this letter, 
uh, people were gathering together in small bands, like eight to 12 people gathering in someone's home. It was a little smelly and stuffy and sweaty. They crowded in and their host would pour a little bit more to drink and they would talk about radical things, pushing each other to do better and be better in this world. This is what the early church looked like. And this letter to the, to the Hebrew people, uh, we actually don't know who wrote this letter. We probably believe that it was a couple of letters kind of smashed together, poured into one, and then circulated to all these little house churches so that people could be reminded of the stories of the faith of the people of God, to be reminded of why it is that they kept meeting together and why it was so important that they kept provoking each other and pushing each other because Jesus had not returned yet as they had expected he would so quickly. And so they told these stories about this book that's not super basic, but actually pretty complicated. Stories about this elderly couple who wandered into the desert looking for a new place to live, and then all of a sudden at year 100 found themselves pregnant with a baby, and they laughed because that's a big joke God played on them. They told stories about this super sneaky, sly son of a well maker who uh, tricked his parents into blessing him rather than his older son, which then launched him to be a leader of nations. And so the people gathered to remember these weird stories and this weird history, but they also gathered because the future was unknowable and they wanted to remind each other of what it was they were called to do and who they were called to be in this world because they had hope that God one day would get everything that God wants. And so they were reminded as they gathered in homes and they sang songs and ate bread together. They reminded each other because this was real weird what they were doing. Not everybody does this, gathering together, breaking bread together and doing life together. Because when we get together like this, lives are transformed. And that's really weird. Because Jesus came and died and was raised, the whole world seemed different. Like colors were brighter and all of a sudden babies somehow looked cuter because Jesus had done something incredible in the world. The whisper and the story was that in the synagogue, in the temple where people experienced and believed God's presence resided and rested, there were these tiers of ways you could enter into God's presence. And so there was this first tier and there were bouncers at the front of the, of the temple and they had a checklist like no shoes, no shirt, no board shorts, and no women allowed in here. You got to get out and get at the back of the line. And then the next tier was where only men who were circumcised were allowed to come a little bit closer to the presence of God. And then this last little room, a little section where only the priests were allowed to go in the temple called the holiest of holies. And it was so freaking holy, y'all, that the priests would sometimes tie a rope around their waist because if they weren't atoned for their sins just enough or if their underwear wasn't clean enough, they would find themselves in this holy of holies whispering the name of God. And if they were not clean enough, they'd do this dramatic death drop, slain in the spirit, but also slain in death. And then the other priests would have to drag them out because this was the holiest space where God's spirit resided and no one was allowed in. But the story went that when Jesus died, when he breathed his last breath, 
that curtain that separated that holy space was torn in two. And not just like a little rip that they couldn't fix, but it was like fibers wrenched apart from top to bottom. And all of a sudden, this unruly spirit, this dangerous spirit came tumbling out over all the people, not just those circumcised men, not just those not wearing board shorts, but all the people, the unfashionable, the sinners, the freaks and the failures, all the people could receive God's spirit, the men, the women, and the gender nonconformity. God's dangerous spirit came tumbling out. And this is what they had learned and what they were teaching each other as they gathered in a house reading this letter of Hebrews is that the spirit was present with them there. They pulled up an extra chair for her and let her shout her amens along as they read the letter to the Hebrews. And so as they were reading, they were reminded to keep doing better. Keep agitating one another. Keep pushing each other. Because it's a radically strange thing to get together. When people get together and push each other to live into God's vision for this world, systems, oppressive systems can be toppled. Lives can be changed and people can be transformed into something new. And so it's not just sprinkling hope on bad days but it is a radical change of lifestyle. Over the last four weeks, we have been talking and learning about what it means to be a United Methodist Church. And United Methodist Church is just a large collection of churches worldwide that all agree we're going to practice church in these ways and agree to these beliefs. Now, the United Methodist Church is not a monolith. The churches within the United Methodist Church are different radically But also, as a part of Urban Village Church, whether you grew up as a United Methodist or whether you're like me and a staunch Baptist or whether you're still trying to figure it out or you never went to church and this is the first time you've been and you think, what the heck is all this talk about? Wherever you are on that church memory spectrum, we're all just a little United Methodist, just United Methodist adjacent a little bit by being a part of this church because you are mine and I am yours And we are a part of the United Methodist Church as Urban Village Church, a larger church connected to more churches. And we've been learning about the United Methodist Church and its history and our role in it. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the super sexy founder of the United Methodist Church, John Wesley. Now, I don't know if you notice, but he's got these deeply beautiful dopey eyes and this illustrious long hair and chiseled cheekbones. Now this sexy, strategic uh, man who decided to found this new movement of the church with his deep plans of methods and way to do things, he was inspired by these weird stories in the Bible and thought, we need a revival in our church. You know a sexy man with a, a revival story gets you going, right? Or maybe a sexy lady, hallelujah. <laughs> Wherever you are, what we know is that John Wesley wanted to start this new movement of people reading the Bible and gathering together to discuss it seriously in their lives. And so he developed a certain set of hierarchy because he loved his methods and he was really good at strategic planning. You know, you can tell by that dimple in his chin, he had a great brain going on up there. And so he decided we're going to have different ways of people gathering in the United Methodist Church first. 
there's the gathering. And the gathering is when we come in and we are slain in the spirit and she shows up, we worship and we pray and we read the Bible together. But also at the gathering, we're gonna have these small group leaders standing at the door with their checklists. And they say, honey, did you show up for group this week? Because if not, you better get your bag packing because John Wesley don't play. If you didn't show up for small group that week, you were not allowed into the large gathering because John Wesley, that super sexy founder of the United Methodist Church, he don't play. And so there were these other gatherings that happened in, in people's homes. They called them classes, or we call them today small groups, groups of eight to 12 people meeting in homes to discuss what was going on in their lives. And so they would sit around asking this really intimidating uh, kind of like overwhelming question. And they would say, how is it with your soul? And people would go, no wonder they didn't want to go to this class. No wonder they didn't want to show up for small group. But you had to go in order to be welcomed into the gathering. And there was a third way, which isn't nearly as important. They gathered in bands to like confess their sins to one another, which sounds even more intimidating. But that wasn't required to get into worship. What's important to know is here at Urban Village Church, you're not required to go to a small group in order to attend worship. We are so radically inclusive that if you're not a part of a small group, you're welcome here as well. But we do believe that these are the places, these groups that gather together are the places where radical transformation can happen, where it does happen and where the Spirit does show up. And so, like our founder John Wesley taught us, showing up for community not just to talk about each other, not just to sip wine and uh, be catty, but showing up to do real life together when times are hard, when times are good, showing up to read the Bible and pray for one another. These are the ways that life can be transformed. John Wesley, uh, you know him as the super sexy founder of the United Methodist Church. I must have a thing for men who are very methodical and very organized because my spouse is similar. My spouse is uh, an ultra marathoner. Does anybody know what an ultra marathon is? It's like what it sounds like, an ultra of a marathon. So a marathon is 23.2 miles running being a nut, drinking lots of water and taking those energy things that are like jello in a packet. And then an ultra marathon can be anywhere from 30 miles to 100 miles. People go out, I know, 30 miles to 100 miles. People go out from the city onto trails. There are very few aid stations on ultra marathons. They run by themselves, not stopping. And then they keep going until they finish their 100 miles. But you know what? Uh, humans were not made to run that much. Were you made to run 100 miles? Girl, I was not. I got these thighs by doing yoga, not by running. So uh, people who are a little weird and methodical and organized like my spouse then have to create these systems and structures to help support them on this extra long race. And so what they do is at the end, they have what they call pacers. Now it sounds just uh, uh, what you would think it would be, but it's also like, why the heck are you doing this? Because about around mile 50, your brain starts to slow down 
And because you're running on trails, the signs are really small and you can get lost. You start to lose your way and you get a little delirious from lack of sleep and lack of uh, oxygen and lack of nutrition. And so you have to have someone come alongside you, run with you, reminding you why it is you're doing this, keeping pace with you, but also to tell you, no, 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 don't go that way, honey. Go this way. Keep up. We're going this direction. Pacers come alongside to help you finish this large, magnanimous goal that you've created for yourself. Not only that, but because there are no aid stations or very few aid stations during ultramarathons, you also bring with you what they call a crew. It's just a bunch of people sitting around doing a huge tailgate, and then you come by and get a big bite of Nutella and keep going and running. And it's this crew that offers you new socks and says, what went wrong? What do you need to fix? We're cheering for you. We are here for you. And then a pacer goes with you out on the rest of the trail. Now, you don't have to be an ultramarathoner, but I don't know if you know, life is a lot like an ultramarathon. It's tough. It's lonely. There are times when you are tired and you don't know which way to go. And we need people in our lives directing us, coming alongside us. We need people gathering together with us to say, you can do this. Where did it go wrong last time? And we can push you into the future. And so this is what small groups are like for us. People that come along in the times when life is tough. People that help us keep pace and reach the goals of our life and of God's goals for this entire world. Because when we gather together, we can reach impossible goals, but we can also make huge things happen. And so, classes for John Wesley took off. People wanted these rules, I guess, to follow, or maybe just that cute dimple on the chin they wanted to show up and hear and preach on Sunday mornings, but people kept showing up. Because it turns out, there are lots of things that want to prevent us from gathering together. I don't know if you notice in your life, but there are systems in our world that promote work and overwork, and working even harder for even little pay for the pressure of just to keep your job. And then from all that work, you are so tired, there's no way you're going to go out and be with other people. And then there's also Netflix. She got some grace stuff on there. But also, if you're tired from work and overwork and working for too little pay just in order to keep your job, Sometimes Netflix is easier and it's harder to switch it off than it is to go talk to your neighbor. And sometimes there's really deep fear. Fear of being hurt because you've been hurt in the past. So getting your life tied up with someone else could feel deeply fearful because you could get hurt again. There's fear of not being accepted for who you are and who you love. And then there's also the real fear of living into your full potential when you're surrounded by others. Fear and loneliness and work and overwork and systems try and rip us apart and keep us apart from each other because a lot of people are really terrified of what happens when we come together. 
when we push each other and provoke each other in love and encourage one another, amazing, radical things can happen. So don't go it alone. Community is essential for God to show up. We see this throughout history. After almost 20 years of activism, uh, workers, laborers in the farm fields started to gather together. 20 years, they gathered together in houses, in small groups, talking about what they needed in order to provide for their families, what they needed in order just to live in their society. And they gathered together, and after 20 years of doing this gathering, they created this movement. So in 1975, they started just a few hundred of them marching from San Francisco all the way to this winery that had been abusing them and overworking them. And just a few hundred of them marched by the time they finished their 110-mile march, which is almost an ultramarathon, they were 15,000 people strong. Not only that, but people across the country were protesting and not buying wine from this certain winery because they believed workers had rights and people deserved a living wage. And so then in that same year, the governor of California signed into law the California Agricultural Labor Relations Act, which allowed farm workers to gather together and to fight for their own rights on their own. Powerful things happen when we go in community together. Don't go it alone. In 1960, Ella Baker, this student, this small woman without a college education yet, she was at Shaw University and she gathered with her friends in her dorm room, about eight to 12 people and said, you know what? Our fellow black Americans are not allowed to vote, not because they shouldn't be allowed to vote, but because of these unlawful practices and unlawful strategic suppression of people's votes. And so we can get out there. We can go educate people about their rights to vote and why they should be voting. And we can be organizing so that our vote can mean more and over several years of gathering together in these small groups, they then formed marches that marched across Selma, Alabama. They formed this organization called the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, which was a smaller, a smaller body within the larger civil rights movement. But it was the youngest of those people doing this work. It started with Ella Baker and eight to 12 of her friends gathering together to make a movement happen. And so we're encouraged to not go alone. That essential things happen community and it can change things because on February 14th in 2018, a student from Marjorie Douglas, Stoneman Douglas High School, and also a white terrorist entered into the school building with semi-automatic rifles gunning down 17 students and faculty and other injuring several others and traumatizing everyone. And rather than just going to vigils or going to memorials, these students, rather than just gathering and using their collective voice, students from Parkland, Florida, decided to go to Emmanuel AME Baptist Church in Charleston and work with other victims of violence against uh, other victims from gun violence. 
They decided to go to the west side of Chicago and the south side of Chicago and use their voice to partner together to build these coalitions. And then, you know what? Some of us, maybe you, in March of this year, marched for lives and to end gun violence. And it starts with just a bunch of people meeting together in homes, eight to 12 people saying, don't go it alone. Community is essential and it changes things. And so the world is a different place. And we're not here to gloss it over. Life is not easy. But it is because we are encouraged to meet up with one another that we have the courage to keep going. That we're not de defeated, but that we are provoked to keep moving forward, to keep agitating and engaging with one another in love. And this can only be done when we meet for authentic community. And this, this is what Jesus did when he gave up his life, when that curtain was torn in two. Jesus also said, you will not go it alone. I will go with you. And this new community will go along and bolster you as well. And so we go not to go it alone, but knowing that God is going with us and knowing that if we are in brave community with one another, in essential community with one another, great change can happen. Will you pray with me? God of power and might, you call us to show up not just for small talk, not just to smile at one another and sip coffee, but you call us, God, to be in relationship with one another, to share our fears and our worries, to share our hopes and our dreams, because, God, you have a dream for this world. You are not finished with us yet. And so we show up to provoke one another in love, but also to be called into these groups that offer us running partners in this race of life. that offer us courage and encouragement for the journey. May we be that for one another, as you, God, have called us. In Jesus' name we pray.